If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 230 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Carol Hamilton, principal and founder of Grace Social Sector Consulting, which works with nonprofits and associations that want to become more strategic, effective, and innovative for greater mission impact. Salisa, what do you and Carol talk about? We focus on design thinking, which is an area of interest and expertise for Carol. She has a certificate in design thinking from the Darden School of Business at the University of Virginia. So we talk about what design thinking is and how it can be used in the context of a learning business, drawing specifically on Jean Litka's four-question formulation. So what is, what if, what wows, and what works? And along the way, Carol shares some examples and insights from her work. She and I also get into areas adjacent to design thinking, areas like journey mapping and innovation. Um, And we also get into what could be considered the opposite of design thinking, namely sunsetting products and services. Well, design thinking is, I know, an area of interest for many because it's so powerful and flexible. And in fact, we devoted one of the four plenary sessions at Learning Technology Design 2020 to it. Connie Malamed, who's been a podcast guest before, led that session. And we also had a concurrent session led by Misan Fontaine that looked at design thinking and learning experience design. If you didn't register for LTD 2020 before the live sessions, we do now have a way that you can get access to the recordings as well as much more. To find out details, go to leadinglearning.com slash join. Now, Salisa, what reflection questions do you have to offer for this episode? And as a reminder to listeners, you can find the reflection questions in the show notes available at leadinglearning.com slash episode 230. Well, first, listen to what Carol has to say about the importance of qualitative research to give you an experiential sense of what your learners are dealing with. Have you recently spent time interviewing, shadowing, or otherwise getting that qualitative view into the work and lives and needs of your learners? Then second, Carol points out that design thinking itself is about small bets, and getting into the methodology is best done through making small bets as well. So is there a smallish, low-risk project you can use to try out design thinking in your learning business? Well, those questions make it clear that design thinking is about putting the human at the center and about taking action, trying things out. So now on to the conversation with Carol Hamilton. Hello and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Salisa Steele and today my conversation partner is Carol Hamilton, principal and founder of Grace Social Sector Consulting, which works with nonprofit organizations and associations that want to become more strategic, effective, and innovative for greater mission impact. Carol's passion is helping organizations cultivate cultures that express their values, fostering learning, creativity, and results. Carol, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. 
So I know that you come by your interest in and passion for greater impact and, and fostering learning very honestly because you've worked in a number of, of learning businesses before starting Grace Social Sector Consulting. And so I wanted to make sure to note that. But what else would you like listeners to know about you and your work as, as background for our conversation? Sure. Um, I've been in the nonprofit sector for most of my career and um, didn't start out in learning, but ended up there um, working and also working for a number of different education related organizations. So I had that kind of meta piece of we were doing learning for people who were also educators. So um, really love this area and love the folks who do it. Well, so I know that one area of focus for you is, is design thinking. So let's start there um, and, and maybe tell us what drew you to design thinking. And probably also it would be helpful if you would just um, tell us what design thinking is. Sure. So um, I, I also have a, a background in organization development, and that's really about how, how people do work better together. And um, I think that uh, design thinking brought two things together for me. It brought that kind of focus on people and how they work together effectively. Um, and then also uh, creating new and innovative things to, you know, solve problems, um, serve people better. So another name for design thinking is human-centered design. And I think it was, it's really that human-centered that drew me to the methodology. Um, it's uh, really an approach for solving big, messy problems. Um, if, if a problem, if there's a known solution for a problem, or you know, if there's a more of an engineering maybe kind of point of view to, to solve a problem, it's probably not the best approach. If there aren't people at the center, it's not the best approach. So it came out of the product development realm, but it really is, is applied widely now uh, within um, nonprofit organizations, within learning organizations, um, you know, in international development, all sorts of different arenas. It's kind of, you know, um, spread widely. <clears throat> and as I said, it's really the core values that drive it are putting people at the center, um, getting empathy for the people that you're trying to serve and create something for, uh, creating small bets, um, invention and iteration. And um, you had a, a gentleman on your podcast a couple episodes ago who was talking about strategic doing. And I think there's a lot of parallels to what he was talking about to design thinking. It's all about, you know, what are your hypotheses, you know, holding solutions um, lightly, not getting attached to something really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. Great. So that's great background in terms of kind of what design thinking is, where it's useful, where it's not useful. Um, and then you mentioned that it kind of comes from that product design world. Um, and so I'm thinking it would be really great to talk specifically about how design thinking might be used in a learning business. Uh, and I'm thinking around kind of creation of a learning product or services. How might that work? Sure. I mean, it's really very applicable here. And that's really, you know, uh, much of the work that we're, we're the, the area where I've had the opportunity to use it. So I was working with an organization to help them think about reimagine how they might serve senior leaders within their um, field. And as you know, uh, organizations that, that design learning often have a relatively easy time creating um, programs that serve beginners in a, in, a, in a particular 
line of work, but trying to serve those who have more experience, have a more sophisticated understanding can be really challenging. And so we were looking at that particular segment and went through the process, which is a different people describe it differently, but I, I appreciate um, a, a way that, that it's described in terms of uh, one that Jean Litka from the University of Virginia Darden School created. And she made it just very accessible to um, folks who didn't go to design school. Um, and you just have four questions and, and, and that walks you through a process of what is, starting with a research phase, uh, what if, the brainstorming storming stage, what wows and what works, really testing early um, your ideas. Wow, so the, the four questions, what is, what if, what wows and what works, is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so the what is, is I think as you just said, kind of the, the current situation, the what if is then you begin to explore potential ideas for how to change that current situation? Yeah. So, um, you know, thinking about that example, uh, the senior leaders, I think too often organizations, um, you know, will, will think, okay, well, we, we're not serving that group uh, particularly well. How might we do that better? And they'll jump immediately to bringing a group of people together and starting the brainstorming process without taking the time to really look at, you know, what is the current situation? What is the experience of seeing you know, those senior leaders? What challenges are they having in their in their job? And it's beyond doing a, a kind of typical needs assessment, which might be, you know, survey driven. It's it's usually uh, you're taking more of a qualitative approach where you're you're talking to people, you're interviewing them. Um, you know, if you have more resources, you may be observing. Um, you know, one organization that I'm aware, you know, I heard about did this by asking uh, the people that they were trying to help uh, do a video of kind of a day in the life. And they, so they got a little more, you know, they, just to really get more of a uh, experiential sense of what's going on for folks and not asking them necessarily um, directly what they need. Uh, Cause I think as, as you probably know, that that rarely gets you the information that you, that you want, but rather trying to come at it from, more indirectly asking them, you know, what's going on in their situation, in their institution, in their, in their job, what's keeping them up at night, what, what are the challenges that they're facing, um, what's going well, and, and really getting a whole perspective on, on their role so that then as you look at a, across, a, you know, a number of interviews, you start to see themes, and you're really looking for insights uh, for what are those unmet needs, what are those gaps that they're talking about that you could then design to? If you have a gap or unmet need in your learning technologies or services, check out our sponsor for this quarter. WebCourseWorks is a leading learning technologies and consulting company that is forging a path of innovation in the e-learning industry. The company's experiences and expertise guide its partners to become the leading providers of education in their fields. WebCourseWorks channels organization learning efforts to deliver on the promise of revolutionary performance improvement. CourseStage, the learning management system from WebCourseWorks, is built for organizations and professional development initiatives. It enables organizations to customize learning experiences, track user success, and make data-driven decisions. CourseStage LMS is designed specifically to handle continuing education and professional development activities for organizations who want to grow their learning business. 
Access a demonstration of the Course Stage LMS as well as other valuable webinars from WebCourseWorks at leadinglearning.com slash WCW. You can also download WebCourseWorks 2020 eLearning Hype Curve predictions by going to leadinglearning.com slash hype. And now, back to the interview as Salisa and Carol wrap up talking about what is and move on to what if. So it sounds like that what is um, first question is, is really important and to not sort of skate over it and not assume that you know what is, but to really dig in. This gets back to the, the human-centered aspect of it, really understanding the situation, the opportunities and challenges for whomever you're trying to serve. Exactly. Uh, I think too often, um, you know, organizations get, get driven by, you know, an influential staff person or a leader who has a quote unquote great idea. Um, but it, it's not grounded in, in any, you know, it's grounded in maybe, maybe their experience, maybe some anecdotes, but really taking the time to, to dig into folks experience, um, then creates a better, a better foundation for that brainstorming. So once you've done that work to really kind of get at that what is, then is the, the what if, the, the, the brainstorming opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have been in a lot of bad brainstorming um, exercises, so they may kind of wince when they hear the word. Um, I'm, I'm someone who tends to love that, which is probably what draws me to this work. But there are ways to, to create um, better experiences so that it's not just about the, you know, the highest paid voice in the room or the loudest voice in the room, but really starting out with um, opportunities for people to work individually, um, using questions, prompts, uh, oftentimes using some kind of analogy, you know, through your, through your uh, research process, you will have, you know, identified some characteristics that might be helpful. So then think, okay, well, if we were an analogous type of organization, say, you know, say you're a nonprofit organization, but you think, well, if we were Disney, how would we do this? Or if we were FedEx, how would we do this? Pulling people out of their um, normal experience can help them kind of imagine other possibilities. So using lots of different prompts to to really uh, help people imagine more broadly and where you're going for a lot at first um, you know, often people will roll their eyes when, when folks say at the beginning of brainstorming, well, there are no bad ideas, because we know there are bad ideas. <laughs> but the problem is your brain can't do both at once. It can't be imaginative and open and free, you know, kind of freestyle and analytical and discerning at the same time. So it's really about just setting, what are we doing here? We're going to get to discernment and refinement and, you know, we're going to, move from that divergent thinking to convergent thinking, but that'll be later because your brain just can't do both at once. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like through a a process and some structure, um, having these prompts, then you really try to set up that, that brainstorming around the what if so that it's as, um, that it produces as many results as possible. And then what do you do once you have, um, you know, these, these ideas that have come out of that kind of what if stage? Yeah, so in that what if stage, you'll you know you probably start out you're going to start out with a lot of little ideas. So it's almost like I imagine it like uh, you know a set of blocks or a set of Legos. You've got a lot of little pieces. So how do you start putting those together to build bigger concepts? 
um, and, and bigger ideas. So, you know, for the example that I was talking about um, with the senior leadership, we, you know, we looked at a number of different needs that folks were having, and we went beyond um, the learning space, but a lot of the solutions that came out actually were learning programs. And um, some of them were apps, some of them were different things. Um, but we kind of built from those smaller ideas up to, I mean, you're looking for trying to do maybe five to six concepts, but one of the, one of the kind of principles here is that you're not immediately deciding, oh, this is our best idea and let's run with it. You're keeping it open. You're saying, okay, let's test five to six concepts um, with people. And the way that we did it was using storyboarding. So we took those bigger concepts and had uh, team members, I mean, you know, caveat of artistic ability does not matter here. Stick figures are fine. But just to make a concrete example of what is the experience going to be for that person uh, using this solution, whether it be an app or a um, a learning program um, or some other solution that might have come out of it. And so doing kind of like a, a storyboard is essentially like a, like a graphic novel or a comic book version of what's that person's experience, what's their step one, their step two. In that case, we took our pretty sketchy versions, well, sketchy, not uh, <laughs> right. Literally uh, sketches. <laughs> Literally sketchy uh, and had an illustrator who had more talent in sketching to clean them up before we put them in front of um, the, the members in the audience that we were we were trying to see whether, you know, what was going to resonate with them. But it gives people beyond uh, just a, 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 a just a description that any way that you can make a prototype that makes the, the concept more concrete so that people can actually react to something that they can visualize, um, that really helps in terms of getting good feedback um, from the folks that you're trying to help with whether that's going to be useful to them or not. Mm, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially since there are so many terms that have uh, very open definitions or meanings, you know, in, in the learning world, you know, something like, sure. oh, we should use micro learning. Well, what does that actually mean? Or, right. or I mean, look to the like? person receiving it, they have no idea what that is. So that's a term of art, right? So yeah, a description that's going to be meaningful to people in the business won't be meaningful necessarily to the person you're trying to um, deliver the program to. So taking it even out of words and into pictures, um, or, or some other way of prototyping, but that's a very accessible one. Uh, just makes, makes it easier for people to understand what you're, what you're um, having them look at, literally look at. Right. And so you have these, you know, five or six concepts that you're, you're trying to test, put out there in front of, of people who might be potential uh, users of that product or service. And so then are we now in the kind of what wows phase of trying exactly. to see? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So once you've got those ready, the other thing that you need to do before you're in the room with folks is look at each concept and define what are the assumptions that we're making? What, what needs to be true for this to be a good idea? So when I was the, the kind of one of the hypotheses that we have uh, that are embedded in this um, program and there's nothing you know, wrong with having assumptions. We always, we have to operate that way. Um, but it's all about making those explicit. So then you can test those during that phase. 
So that the, ident identifying those assumptions, what, what needs to be true to make this a good, good idea, then guides the questions that you're going to be asking folks, um, how, you know, some open-ended, some more close-ended, um, you know, from how could we improve this to make this, well, one of the things to really be, that's really important is uh, testing whether you've identified the need up front, right? So way back in the beginning, we, we were in that what is phase and we, we decided that we've identified a couple unmet needs. Well, this is our chance to then test, did we get that right? Is that need important? It could be a need, but it might not be something that's really front burner. Um, so, you know, and then once you've gotten feedback on the concept, having folks rank the ones that you're offering them to say, what's the most likely for you to use? What do you need the most? Um, and, and get them to put them in, in rank order. Because even when you tell people, or at least my experience has been, even when you tell folks, we want all your feedback, they're, you know, they still want to be polite, I'll tell you the 100% truth. So getting them to rank really kind of brings out what's, what's gelling with them more than others. Mm, that's a nice tip there. So then you've, you've, you've put these concepts out there, you've asked some questions, you're getting this feedback, um, and, and then what happens after that? So generally from that ranking, you'll then be able to cull. Uh, so there, that's where you go to that discernment stage of, okay, what, what of these are better working from a, from a um, point of view of the, cus the customer which are resonating, and then also looking at, well, which of these, you know, do we really have the core competency around, um, you know, which of these are going to be feasible um, financially so that you come to, okay, which are we going to then take to a next stage and develop a little bit further? Um, so when uh, we were doing this, we used uh, what people may have heard of, the business model canvas, to then flesh out all the different aspects of not just what would the program do and what are the customer needs, but, you know, who's going to help us with this? What's the cost structure going to be? Um, and then uh, think about how can you, how can you actually do a next level uh, prototype to uh, get more feedback? Mm. And Before so then you're jumping to, you know, actually rolling it out and doing a pilot. Right. And so that, that kind of discernment stage, is that the, that's sort of the what works question where you're digging in there? Or are you still kind of well, doing a round tune in what wows? Yeah, it's probably the bridge between um, what, what wows and what works, where what works you're really looking at. Okay, what are the ones that are really, what are those one or two that are coming out to the top that we want to develop further and get more feedback on? So from the feedback that you had in, in round one, you may do some changes and then um, you ideally you're getting having a small test where you can get it into the field and and uh, get some actual behavior, you know, actual um, feedback from folks beyond. I think I would use this. Right. Do they actually use this? And do they actually use it? Will they actually buy? Are they actually signing up and are they interested? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, great. So thanks for kind of walking through those four questions and how they, they can play out in terms of looking at um, uh, options for, for a learning business. You know, one, another area where I'm interested is, is the connection between design thinking and innovation. And so I'm curious if you sort of see design thinking as kind of a way of, of moving 
uh, beyond that sort of more incremental innovation to more disruptive innovation? Or do you think design thinking is sort of useful across the board, you know, all, all types of innovation or just any general thoughts on sort of the connection between those two, design thinking and innovation? Yeah, no, I think there's a direct connection. I think design, you know, design thinking is one of the methodologies that a lot of organizations use to try to move, you know, move forward in terms of innovation. And I would say that it really, it it lends itself more, uh, not so much in the incremental, it's not about necessarily um, improving what we have. Um, I mean, it depends on the what we have, what what level that is. But um, it, it's generally, I, I think, is it disruptive? That will depend on what solutions come out. It could be more in the middle. But it is about looking at new, creating new things, um, addressing needs that aren't being addressed yet. So it's, it's less about improving what you have and more about um, creating something new. Mm-hmm. And, and here's another connection that I'm interested in, in probing and getting your thoughts on, and that's the potential relationship is between sort of journey mapping and, and design thinking and how they might work together or influence one another um, and, and just sort of how you see that relationship if you see one. Sure. Yeah, I, I uh, have seen, um, generally, I've seen journey mapping being used as a tool in that first phase, in that research phase, um, in the design thinking process. So it's another way, you know, we did interviews, a, another way to, to get information about um, how people are experiencing something is to have them draw you a journey map. And, and if people aren't familiar with that, that's generally having um, someone describe a process or, you know, I mean, it could, I've done it with, um, you know, what drew you to be a a member of an organization. I've also done it with, you know, how did you get into the career that you're in now? What drew you to it? And what were the ups and downs? Um, And it's about mapping those ups and downs. So the map will often end up looking a little bit like a roller coaster, you know, not only saying what happened, so those actions, but also having people um, say, you know, note what were they thinking at the time what were they feeling at the time um you know who else was involved so it's really getting their story from their point of view and mapping it out in a visual way um journey mapping you can also use as a way to synthesize a lot of information so um you maybe have all those interviews and you're then thinking okay well what's the common experience the kind of common journey that we're seeing and, and the low points, the high points um, for the, all the folks that we've talked to. So it sounds like in particular in that, that sort of first question, that first phase, that what is phase, that journey mapping can be helpful either as kind of a, a starting point or as you were just saying about synthesizing and pulling together some of what you learn from that research that you're doing. Yeah, and it's always important to make sure that you're, you're designing that, um, you're, you're mapping out what the what the user, the member, the client, the, you know, the audience person, what their experience is rather than your perception of what that <laughs> right. steps, the steps are. Right. The, back to that human centered, but the, the yep. human being the, the, the customer, the learner, not like right. you're saying the internal um, yeah, person's exactly. viewpoint. Yeah. So, you know, in your work that you've done with organizations doing design thinking, helping them through, you know, what do you see as, common mistakes or missteps with design thinking? 
Yeah, I think a, a couple different things. I think oftentimes um, where I've seen uh, challenges kind of go, and, and they're often termed design challenge, um, kind of get lost or, or struggle is when uh, the challenge that you're trying to address is really too large. It's that kind of, you know, we're trying to boil the ocean here. Um, for example, I was working with a group where the, the, the opening question was, um, how can the taxpayer experience for small business owners be improved? Well, that challenge is so large and there's so many nuances to it. It was really hard to get a grip on where to focus. Um, so it probably would have been more useful to narrow that down a little bit. You know, is there a particular part of the experience that we want to focus on to look for ways to improve? Um, so that's one thing, I think, just not scoping the challenge appropriately. And you can also make it too small, right? So if it's something so small that another methodology that's more in that incremental improvement, constant quality improvement, it's also probably not right for, for this process. Um, I think, uh, you know, in terms of organizations, um, again, uh, trying to make big bets, um, you know, going too big in this uh, rather than kind of taking some small steps, um, even in using the methodology. So the methodology itself wants you to make small bets and 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 prototype and test uh, early, um, not waiting till you've got a big thing to launch. Um, but I think also just in terms of how the organization takes on the methodology, starting small is really helpful too. So if you're starting too big, it can kind of overwhelm the system. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So getting used to the, the design thinking process and so doing that with a, a perhaps a smaller sort of less critical um, challenge exactly. uh, until you get more familiar with, with how it works. That makes sense. And then I think too what you were saying around really scoping the design challenge, like that's a critical piece. Do you have any advice around how to know that you've scoped it correctly, that you aren't aiming too large or too small? Yeah. So um, there, there's a process. Um, it, there, there, Jean Litka and others um, wrote a book about all of this. Uh, I think it's called Designing for Good. And then they wrote a toolkit that went with it. And in there is um, a step for exactly that around scoping the issue um, asking a number of questions that, you know, do we need to go bigger? Do we need to go smaller? Um, and, and it kind of helps you walk through the, the steps of, of how to define that. I'm not remembering all the questions right at the moment, um, but that's a useful resource. Okay. Well, great. And, and I know you were already talking about this, that, you know, design thinking really is on this idea of, of new, of, of developing uh, a new product or, or service to, to meet that uh, existing unmet need. Um, and, and so it's about, you know, it is about new, it's about adding to what an organization's offering. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's the other side of the equation, um, where a learning business can need to sunset products and services that are maybe no longer serving, uh, the purpose that they were, uh, built to serve. Do you have any advice, whether it's somehow drawing on design thinking or from some other area in terms of, you know, how an organization can think more um, strategically and systematically about that sunsetting process. 
Yeah, so you're you're right. This isn't uh, design thinking isn't really um, designed uh, for that kind of process, um, but it's important to do. And so you were asking about missteps. I think uh, the organization um, that I was talking about in terms of the you know the senior leader. Uh, one of the things that we didn't do, uh, the organization didn't do, was take that step of really doing a systematic analysis of what they already had. And so, you know, they got into the classic um, nonprofit challenges of just adding, 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 um, which, you know, just meant that there wasn't the capacity to do all the fun new things that they wanted to do. So, yeah, I think that uh, a step before you even launch into looking at new is really important to, you know, almost... Maria Kondo, your learning program. Um, so I, I use a process what I, uh, that I call a strategic program portfolio review that really analyzes what's strong in terms of both mission and purpose alignment, but then also in terms of financial sustainability and looking not one program at a time, but all of them together to really look at that totality and, and um, kind of see how things fall in terms of those two um, you know, those two elements. Okay, great. So sort of a kind of to create uh, the bandwidth and the availability to tackle some of the new, almost as a first step looking at is, you know, what do we need to potentially stop doing? Yes, it's always such an important question and one that so many organizations really struggle with. It's so Mm -hmm. much easier to be excited about new things than to let go of the old. But, you know, Maria Kondo tells us to clean out our closet before we go shopping. So I go with that. <laughs> so to, to pick up our, our focus a little bit, we've been obviously talking mostly about design thinking and then a little bit there on sunsetting. But I know that you're just a lifelong learner yourself, that you're a thoughtful observer of, of the space that learning businesses operate in. And so I just would be curious uh, to get your take on what you see as the current biggest opportunities and or threats to organizations that are providing continuing education, professional development, and lifelong learning? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one, uh, the the trend that I see is one that you guys have been talking about for a long time, which is, um, you know, the competition, the number of different entities that are in this space um, is, is, you know, transformed with the with online learning, with the capacity for solopreneurs to offer their own learning programs. Um, it used to be that if a field had an association or a, a, was served by a particular nonprofit or organization or a geography had a particular university, they had a monopoly. And that's just not the case anymore. And I think it's just becoming more and more so, um, you know, even in my local area where the, the, or the association of, of my field used to do local programming, and now they've essentially acceded it to uh, folks doing through stuff through Meetup, um, consultants often uh, being the one coordinating those things, and just, there's just so many more people in the space. So just really the, the rise of competition. Yeah, yeah and so I think, um, especially in the nonprofit sector, uh, I think it's you know, oftentimes people get caught up in how do we differentiate? How do we be more competitive? And I guess I would ask the question of how can you partner and, you know, how can you work with other people who are doing um, similar things to you rather than, you know, taking that kind of for-profit, let's all compete over this small market 
um, especially in the nonprofit sector, trying to, to uh, solve big, um, you know, no one organization is big enough to solve the kinds of problems that folks are trying to tackle in terms of housing and poverty. And, and so, you know, get together. Right, <laughs> right. But work together and, and you'll have, it's, it's challenging collaboration. It's its own challenge, um, but I think it's, it's worth it in the long run. Right. I think that gets back to, you know, how I introduced you that, you know, you're really trying to help organizations have that greater mission impact, which, of course, then means partnership can be just as viable or maybe even more viable an answer than, you know, going head to head with yeah. uh, with others. Yeah. So next to last question, this is one we ask all of our guests and it focuses on your personal learning what is one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Well, it's funny because uh, I, I went back uh, to school um, as a later in my career, or maybe midway through my career. Um, so the one that comes to mind is actually a formal education. Um, my, my master's degree in organization development at American University. But the reason that it comes to mind is that it was so different from what I've heard other people's experience of graduate programs to be. It was so experiential. And so there was a huge focus on as a person who's working in a system, in, a, in an organization to help them look at how they can improve, you know, how are you using yourself? How do you show up in groups? Uh, what impact are you having? So it really was personally transformative for me and for many who go through that program. So um, I think it's it's quite unique in the the graduate graduate education space since it it really um, weaves in that uh, you know constant personal reflection around how you um, how you show up in groups and and how you work so and then be able to reflect that back for others yeah and so that emphasis on the experiential the emphasis on on making it very personal um, and I'm sort of gathering as well that focus on sort of the trying to make it as applicable as possible right away. It's might change yeah, I mean, how you show another, up. Another wonderful thing is that most of the people, um, everyone who's in the program is working. So, you know, you're, you're doing that concurrently. And so you're constantly bringing in situations for your own organization and then being able to apply it. Um, and in, in that, the, the capstone is a, um, you know, working with a with a client organization, uh, I I did, and I I actually came into the program as kind of a reluctant reflector. You know, mm. professors always want you to have a reflection question at the end, and like, oh God, not again. But <laughs> in going through that um, that last project, uh, I actually designed a reflection process for myself that I I used consistently, and I continue to use it. So it it. Um, it's kind of my day, uh, my weekly check-in uh, around my the work that I'm doing, what am I learning, and then uh, looking at it weekly, and then um, after you know about six months, taking a look. Um, so if people are are interested in something like that, uh, those are available on my website. So wonderful. We'll make sure to uh, link to that in the show notes. And, and final question is actually just if if listeners do want to learn more about you and your work or connect with you, where would you have them go? Yeah, so definitely um, at my website, gracesocialsector.com. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's Carol N. Hamilton. Um, also LinkedIn. But yeah, my website's the best place, gracesocialsector.com. 
Well, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me today, Carol. All right. Thank you so much. That concludes the interview with Carol Hamilton. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 230. And the show notes will include the reflection questions. First, have you recently spent time interviewing, shadowing, or otherwise getting that qualitative view into the work, lives, and needs of your learners? And second, is there a smallish, lower-risk project you can use to try out design thinking in your learning business so you and your team can get more familiar with the process? When you check out the show notes, you will see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as that helps us to get some insight into the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. Salisa and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. We'd be grateful if you'd check out our sponsor for this quarter, access a demonstration of the Course Stage LMS and other valuable webinars from WebCourseWorks at leadinglearning.com slash WCW. And you can also grab their 2020 e-learning hype curve predictions at leadinglearning.com slash hype. Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leading learning on each of those channels. Wherever and however you do it, please do follow and please help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.